0: Let's jump in to our passage for this morning. So we've been in Nehemiah, and this morning we're going to be in Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12. And so if you want to go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. Last week, we were in chapter 9, and we're skipping over chapter 10, and I'll kind of, I'll kind of give you a little bit just summary of that so we don't skip over it completely. But we are nearing the end of our time in Nehemiah. Next week is the last week that we have. And we come to a couple of chapters today that if you are a a regular Bible reader, maybe you've tried a a Bible reading plan. And what our tendency is in the Old Testament, when we come to a list or a genealogy, um, what do we typically do? All right, good. I can mark that one off, but I'm not gonna read it because I can't even pronounce those names and they don't really relate to me. So it's not important for me. We don't think that we can learn from it. We don't think that it's gonna really do much for us and it's easy to check that box off of our reading plan. And so, hey, I'm gonna read quickly today. But 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this. It says, all scripture, all scripture, is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture. That means that this whole entire book, every single word of it, even the lists and the genealogies, the cities, the in you know you see in Numbers and you see in First Chronicles and you see these these books where they're they're starting to divide different portions of the land to the tribes of Israel, and all of those words are important. They're important for some reason, it tells us in 2 Timothy. So it's crucial that we have that kind of in mind as we go through chapters 11 and 12, that even though there's, a, there's long lists of people's names, it's still important. And we don't want to just breeze over it and not really look at the significance of it. So last week, chapter 9, Nat talked about how a, a knowledge of God, a deep knowledge of God, will lead us to a point of confession. When we, when we see God for, for who he is, it allows us to, to have some perspective on who we are and then it causes us to feel like we are not worthy and we're not apart from Christ. And so that brings us to a point of confession of seeing the, the wrong things that we've been doing, the mistakes, the way we've been living that don't match up to who God is and his standard, and so it brings us to a point, and it brought them to a point of confession, and over the last couple of weeks, we've seen this revival break out amongst Israel, and this is just part of it. Part of the revival is they hear God's word, they celebrate God's word, and then they come to a point of confession, and they're, they're apologizing for all the wrongs that have been done over the years, that they've turned their back on God, and it's just God purifying them and bringing them to a point of repentance, bringing them to a, a fresh place. In a, a revival, one pastor defines as a movement of God's spirit, in the believers Life which produces both private confession, which we see, and public obedience to the scriptures. Outward behavior will be marked with God's pleasure as the highest priority, a priority that will undeniably impact personal relationships, financial decisions, and lifestyle decisions. So this is what we see going on, this revival that's breaking out. And this is what we want to continually see happen in our lives and what we want to see happen in the life of our church. We want this revival, this bringing us to a point of confession, seeing our wrongdoings, but then, but then looking forward and celebrating what God is doing and obeying the scriptures and preaching the scriptures and following the scriptures and we talked about a couple of weeks ago when God says they do and so when God says we do and and that should be our attitude as as individuals and as a church and so we want this revival to be taking place week in and week out every day really in our lives as we as we're pursuing him uh, chapter 10 I wanna give you just kind of a a little summary of chapter 10, then we'll get into our passage this morning. Well, chapter nine ends with a covenant that the people make with with God, that hey, now we are going to, now that we've confessed, now that we've kind of come to a, a new place, we are committing ourselves to follow your law. And so they have a signed document, a signed and sealed document, and the people who signed it are princes, Levites, and priests. And so what, what the chapter 10 begins with is just a list of these names of the guys who had signed this document, the sealed document. So this is our commitment to you, God. Now we are saying we are going to live this way. We are going, um, we are going to obey your laws, and, and we're putting that in writing. It's a little more powerful in writing than just saying, so we're putting it in writing. Here is our essentially contract To you, and so they write that, and there's a list of people, and then it continues to talk about what some of those commitments are. It talks about the obligations that Israel wants to hold themselves to uh, in their relationship with God, and so the rest of chapter 10 talks about a lot of those obligations and a lot of those commitments, and and that's kind of what we're we're skipping over as we get into chapter 11. And so now they they've done all of these things, they've made a new commitment to God, and so we see them now in chapter 11 start to make some steps to repopulate and to dedicate the city of Jerusalem after the wall has been built. So as we go through these chapters, we're going to break it down into three main sections. Three sections are going to be the three sacrifices to the Lord that Nehemiah calls the people to. Three sacrifices to the Lord that Nehemiah calls the people to. So in turn, as we go through this, you'll hear it because we try to put it in terms for us to relate to, but it's three sacrifices as well that God calls us to as believers. So let's go ahead and get into Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. And our first, uh, the first sacrifice, the first thing that we give over to God is ourselves. So number one, if you're taking notes, the first point is we must give ourselves to God. We must give ourselves to God. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So the wall is done and it's time to repopulate the city. So the way they decided to do that Who's gonna move into the city is by casting lots. We read casting lots a lot, but maybe you haven't really thought about what it actually means to cast lots. The, The best way to think about it is think of like, like dice and you roll the dice and you don't really know what number is going to come, but a number, a number comes, right? So um, the way they cast lots would have been sticks that have markings on them. It could have been stones that had certain markings on them and they would take them and they would toss them into the middle and then they would have someone interpret how they landed and that's how they determined all through the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament, you see they're casting lots for the garments of Christ. You see them casting lots. It's kind of like a way of, of gambling in a way, but it wasn't gambling. So they throw these things into the middle and, and someone interprets and that's how they know who the one-tenth is going to be moving into Jerusalem. Well, Why did they have to cast lots? If you think about it, maybe you haven't thought about this, but no one really wanted to move into Jerusalem yet. No one really wanted to uproot themselves and move into the city. A couple of different reasons, as I was reading this week. One of them is if an army of another nation comes marching through, where are they going to go First they're not going to go up into the hills and get the villages and all the sheep pastures. What they're going to do is they're going to go after the most powerful point. So they're going to come to the walled city. They're going to try to break that down because that's where the government officials live. That's where all the money is. So they want to take that down first because then everything else will follow. Everything else will collapse. So if you're back in that day when you see over and over battles and wars and all of these things happening, there's a little bit of danger into moving into this big walled City and the other piece that wasn't too appealing to them is there wasn't a whole lot of open land inside of Jerusalem. So when they're moving in there, you know, back then a lot of the wealth was found in what you owned and, and uh, you know all the livestock that you had and then the land that you had. So when you're moving into Jerusalem, you're giving up kind of in a way your wealth. You're not going to have a lot of land to plant crops on. You're not going to have a lot of land for your animals to graze. You're not going to have a lot of flocks, a lot of herds. So you're giving up a lot of your possessions to move into. Jerusalem, and so we think about, and we're like, man, that's kind of sounds a little bit like if you just think generalities of missionaries who kind of uproot their lives and they go somewhere that maybe other people wouldn't want to go. There's some danger in it, and so so they cast lots. But then you notice in verse two what it says. It says the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So even though it was difficult, even though there was some danger, even though required great sacrifice. They were willing to do it. They were willing to move into the city. So there was a willingness that came in that. So why were they willing? Because they believed after seeing what God has done, after seeing the things, the way that God has worked, after this revival has taken place, they believe in the mission of God. They believe that Jerusalem is the city of God. It's it's a holy city. It's set apart for, for his work. Even though it would have been difficult, they believe that God's ways were higher than their own. And so they were willing to give up a lot to do something for the mission of God. Look at verses three and four. It says, these are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived in, on his property in their towns. Israel, the priest, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah, the sons of Benjamin, and of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephathiah, son of Mahath. of the sons of Perez. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's what's happening, okay? All through chapter 11, we have a lot of names, okay? Now, he could have very easily stopped after he said the temple servants, the priests, the Levites, the descendants of the Solomon servants, certain sons of Judah, and the sons of Benjamin. He could have just said that and said, here's kind of the groupings of the people that moved in. Now let's move on to chapter 12. But instead, he lists them out by names. In uh, verses four through six, you have the sons of Judah. That's not literal all of Judah's sons, but that's representatives of the tribe. So you have the sons of Judah in verses four through six. You have a list of the sons of Benjamin through verses seven and nine. You have uh, a list of the priests, verses 10 through 14. You have a list of the Levites in verses 15 through 18. And you have a list of the gatekeepers in verse 19. So, verses 20 through 24 is where we come after those lists, and here's what it says The rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived in Ophel, and Ziha and Gishbah were over the temple servants. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Mattaniah, son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. And Pethahiah, the son of Meshezebel, of the sons of Zerah, the sons of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. So you have kind of this, this final statement of some singers that are moving in, and it's all by the king's decree. So verses 25 through 36, we're just kind of breezing through this part because I said that you shouldn't when you read names, but... Verses 25 through 36 then has a list of the villages that the people lived in outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Honestly, it's for the sake of time because I have something else for you that we're gonna read in just a second. But you move into chapter 12 and you have lists of priests and Levites, which goes from verse one all the way through verse 26. And that brings you to the end of the first section, literally a chapter and, and then another 26 verses that are just lists of people that moved in. So it's easy again to look at this and you can look at this and you just breeze right on through, right? It's just a bunch of names. It's people from these tribes it's priests, it's Levites, great. We're glad they moved in, but I don't need to know what all their names were. I just need to know that they moved in and that's great, that's significant. But there is significance to Nehemiah using specific names rather than just generally saying the tribes or the people groups or the priests or the Levites. He could have very well said, those who did the hard thing and moved into Jerusalem were from from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. There were priests, Levites, gatekeepers, and singers and then moved on. But that's really impersonal. Right, we look at it thousands and thousands of years later, but then when he wrote this and the readers that were reading it would have known the, the names of these people and the families they, they came from. So it would have been really impersonal to, to just kind of say it as a generality, but when he chooses to list them by name, it shows a great appreciation for their sacrifice. So let's put it in modern day terms. I could say something like those who gave themselves served in kids ministry, student ministries, first impressions, and the cafe. They served on worship and tech teams. They set up and they tore down. They did trucking. They counted. Some of them were life group leaders. Some were elders. Some were deacons. Some cleaned the church office, and others helped with communication. But that wouldn't be very personal or show a deep level of appreciation. But if I said, those who served in kids' ministry— were Debbie Mickle, C.V. Detweiler, Brooke McDuffie, Hayden Kirby, Kevin Wins, Christy Wins, Zoe Wins, Logan Wins, Blake Irwin, Brittany Smithmeyer, Coleman Kirby, Tom Croft, Jackie Croft, Laird Hepburn, Dana Rice, Andrew Rice, Jennifer Langdon, Avery Ross, Brad Ross, Gene Ross, Alex Ross, Todd McDuffie, Tricia McDuffie, Heidi Gilmore, Megan Richmond, Margaret Knox, Courtney Johnson, Sam Duckworth, Allison Cantor, Kristen Kneipp, Caroline Stallings, Neil Eller, Sherry Eller, Karen Ray, Don Amon, Sandy Joyner, Layla Ballinger, Luke Rice, Parker Kulak, Mackenzie Mickle, Anson Ross, Chloe Ann Detweiler, Arabella Stewart, Jennifer Stewart, Jeff Rutledge, Keith Hamilton, Elise Hamilton, Beulah Daniel, Brett Reynolds, Carl Reynolds, Christine Liu, Lauren Shea, Emily Reynolds, Julie Mitchell, Ed Tang, Julia Tang, Erica Ledbetter, Jen George, Andrew George, Becky Abel, Jade King, Steve Dingledine, Wendy Dingledine, German Pasteures, Lydia Pasteures, Ashton Hepburn, Anna Story, Jody Everhart, Ashley Clark, and Student Ministries, those who served were Mark Guastaferro, Sarah Guastaferro, Ryan Franklin, Nate Davis, Aaron Kiefer, Casey Kiefer, Jeff Bowman, Lauren Bowman, Jade King, Mike Rice. Catherine Rice, Ming Lee, Rochelle Burden, Scott Lusheen, Michelle Lee, Rebecca Wilkerson, Matt Trebing, Mike Wilkerson, Tibby Duong, Ashley Wong. In first impressions, you have Adam Clark, Andrew George, Ashley Clark, Bill Bober, Bonnie Wells, Chrissy Ortel, Cindy Cruz, Dia Hamilton, Aaron Irwin, Fred Burden, Heidi Lawrence, Jen George, Lena Gregory, Mark Cruz, Monica Hepburn, Patrick Ortel, Sanjana Sudarsan, Shailaja Jha Sudarsan, Seavey Detweiler, Steve Dingledine, Ted Wells, Wendy Dingledine. In the cafe, you have Ann White, Tom Prim, Susie Prim, Stan Mills, Lisa Mills, Amy Johnson, Angie Crystal, Courtney Johnson, Jillian Crystal, Josephine Q, Joanne Burden, Sarah Rector, Kevin Braswell, Debbie Braswell. On the worship team, you have AJ Dressler, Adam King, Andy LeBrant, Ashley Wong, Dan Baker, David Johnson, Emily LeBrant, Hayden Kirby, Hunter Johnson, Matt Trebing, Olivia Smith, Paul Rem, Scott Lusheen, Stephen Maginell, Will Rutledge, Mia Smith, Lauren Gaynor, Lauren Shea, Audrey Smith, Anna Lusheen, Joanne Ruggles. On the tech team, you have Chris Mickle, Tim Burks, Ray Lou, Robert Q. Laura Rim, Rob Schweitzer, Ben Howard, Reed Castellanos, Samuel Detweiler, Jimmy Hartsfield. On setup up and teardown teams, you have Matt Shade, Ronnie Lau, Sam Everhart, Will Rutledge, Jaden Cross, Mark Joyner, Nate Gilmore, Robert Q, Matt Embry, Travis Gunther, Leah Gunther, Ed Hogan, Carol Hogan, Mike Gemma, Travis Lee, Gazel Lee, Austin Lee, Owen Lee, Amelia Lee, Brittany Scholes, George Castellanos, John Abel, Stephen Greenlee, Davis Castellanos, Cole Castellanos, Reed Castellanos, Emerson Castellanos, Matt Ray, Danny Duong, Kevin Saylor, Jimmy Hartsfield, Ming Lee, Dan Gray. Trey Cooper, Dan Crystal, Brandon Wallman, Eric Dinger, James Wong, Kevin Braswell, Debbie Braswell. On the trucking team, Eric Howard, Will Langdon, Miriam Semple, Clarence Q, Rob Switzer, or George Castellanos. On the counting team, Christy Baker, Jackie Croft, Sammy Rivera, Will Langdon, Matt Shade, Jill Shade. Life group leaders are David Amon, Josh Bover, Chris Ann Burks, Tim Burks, Emily Clark, Ryan Clark, Neil Eller, Jen Embry, Matt Embry, Dan Graham, Aaron Kiefer, Casey Kiefer, Susan Kildow, Kelly Kirby, Zach Kirby, Angie Crystal, Dan Crystal, Debbie Lau, Ronnie Lau, Stan Mills, Paul Ram, Dana Rice, Matt Rice, Charlie Rogers, Susan Rogers, Brad Ross, Gene Ross, Jeff Rutledge, Robin Rutledge, Jill Shade, Matt Shade, Ashley Wong, Sam Wong. On the Deacon team, Debbie Braswell, Kevin Braswell, Fred Burden, Tom Croft, Eric Dinger, Matt Embry, Dale Hyatt, Aaron Keeper, Zach Kirby, Dan Crystal, Will Langdon, Ronnie Lau, Tom Prim. On the elder team, John Abel, Charlie Rogers, Jeff Rutledge, Steve Diggledye, Brian Cross, Ryan Clark, Keen Kulak. On staff, Matt Rice, David Amen, Adam King, Christy Baker, Scott Lusheen, Teresa Ballinger, Sandy Schweitzer, and Jackie Schweitzer, who come on the weekends to clean the church office. On the communication and design team, Katie Franklin and Olivia Smith. Pretty incredible when you hear all the names of those serving in Northwest Community Church, right? <sighs> That's a lot of people. But when you can hear them by name, and when you can hear your name, and you hear like that the emphasis... But it's pretty cool when you hear that and you hear all the people that are invested making Northwest what it is and serving kids and and loving kids and teaching kids about Jesus and making sure that things are ready to go so that it's a smooth worship experience and and making sure that things are done behind the scenes that you never even see. Uh, It's pretty incredible that all of those people uh, are, are doing something with themselves for the glory of God, sacrificing much, giving of their time, giving of their energy, and so it's pretty cool. I was excited about reading all those. I don't know if you could tell. It's not just what's going on internally, however. Those are names of people, of course, that are serving in some capacity to make Northwest Community Church as our, as our church body move forward, but there's also a lot going on outside of the walls, families, people within our church that I, I can't tell all the stories, I can't name all the names because we don't even know about all of them that are doing something for the mission of God in their families, in their neighborhoods, in their places of work, whether it's to their barista, maybe it's their coworker, whatever it is. They've got somebody or people or a family that they're pouring into and they're trying to reach with the gospel. And so it's not just about serving inside of the church, but it's also about how are we living the mission of God, the gospel that we're called to take forth outside of these walls, and how are we, how are we doing our part individually, and then how is our church doing that? How are we giving our, our lives to God for his glory and to move his kingdom forward? So that's the first one, we give of ourselves, they gave of themselves. Number two, we must give our praise to God. It's something that we give, so I don't, want to call that a sacrifice necessarily, but it is something that we're giving. Um, And if you think about the decisions that we make and the way that we live our lives often, uh, maybe it is kind of a sacrifice to take time out of our day and do that instead of just on a Sunday morning. Let's look at uh, chapter 12, and let's go through verses 27 through 42. Here's what it says. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, uh, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Natophethites. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmapheth. For the singers had, re, had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall, to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshalam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests, sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives... Uh, Shemaiah, Azarel, Millalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Ezra the scribe went before them at the fountain gate. They went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. And the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north around the wall, on top of the wall. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. And above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I and half of the officials with me, and the priests, uh, we'll to skip through the priests, um, and the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So Ezra and Nehemiah, they assign two different groups to be worshipers on the wall. One group heads out one way, and the other group heads out the other. And as they go, they're offering up praises of thanksgiving. They're joyful. They have instruments playing music. And they meet at the temple, and they continue to worship God there. They offer sacrifices. They rejoice, it says, with great joy. And uh, they continue to to worship the men, the women, and the children. And they're praising God so passionately, so loudly, that it says their joy was heard far away. You ever heard the kids when they're singing out in the kids' ministry during church? Maybe sometimes you can hear it if those doors are propped open for some reason uh, usually it's when they're singing Happy Day, and they're all screaming and jumping, and you can hear them celebrating. I don't know if you guys heard it last week, um, but Laird set up a little mini Jericho out there, and so the, uh, the little Israelites marched around Jericho, and um, he gave them whistles and kazoos, and uh, that... Was made the parents very happy after church. Um, But I was out there, I took a video of it, and uh, it was quite loud when they got to the seventh time on day seven, and they started blowing those things. So I don't know if you heard them in here. Maybe if you were sitting in the back, you could have heard the whistles and kazoos going. Um, But from afar off, they're rejoicing. Their celebration is so loud. They're so excited for what God has done that they are just celebrating with everything that they have. If you remember in Nehemiah chapter four, um, a few weeks back, he saw the opposition that Nehemiah and the people faced. And one of the things they said was, you guys don't even know how to build a wall. I mean, look at that thing. That thing, a, a little fox who just walks so lightly could get up on that wall. And as soon as he walks on it, that whole thing's coming crumbling down. It's a terrible structure. You're not building it right. It's going to collapse. You're spending all this time and effort for what? For nothing. You don't even know what you're doing, right? So they're facing this opposition, and here they are by the hundreds on top of the wall marching around it, singing their praises to God. And so they have that in mind, right? Look at what what we came through, the adversity that we had to come through. We built this. Look what God did through us for his glory, and so they're rejoicing just with so much. In this chapter, in chapter 12, you have singing mentioned eight times, thanksgiving six times, rejoicing seven times, musical instruments three times. I mean, they're having a huge party. They're having a massive party, and they are just celebrating. If you look at other passages, what you see are, are command to praise God. You see people praising God. But in Hebrews thirteen fifteen, it says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So we heard from Romans when Olivia read uh, Romans chapter 12, how, how our worship, our, our spiritual act of worship is, is a living sacrifice, right? We, we give up a lot of our own lives, a lot of our own comforts, the, the things that we may want to do for the, for the things that God might have us do instead. And so that's a way that we worship. But here it says, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. So out of our mouths, as we acknowledge who God is, as we acknowledge what he's done, that is a way that we offer up praise. That's what they were doing here in Nehemiah. In Psalm 69, 30 and 31, it says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Then this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. You see in Deuteronomy a command to, to offer up an ox or a bull with horns and hooves to, um, as a sacrifice to God. And what God is saying is look, uh, I will, this will please me, me more than that, that sacrifice of an animal. Here Hearing you, hearing you, um, can't think of the word hearing you give me praise and, and admit, I guess, that, um, that I am who I say that I am, that you've seen that in your lives, you've seen how I worked, and you saying that with your mouth is, is a sweeter sound, hearing that come from you than it is for you just to offer up uh, um, a bull or, a, or a, an ox as a sacrifice. And so the words that, that we sing, as we're singing on Sunday mornings and we're offering up praise to God, I don't, I don't want it to be for us just something that we do because we sing. We don't want it to just be you know, words that we're singing and it makes us feel good, but um, our worship leaders really spend a lot of time trying to pick songs that that are worshipful that have God at the center that aren't talking about us 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 me 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 um, and they they kind of go along with what we're talking about so that as we're singing it's putting into our mind the things that we're going to talk about and then we're all celebrating together what those songs say what God has done how He's you know it, it, back in the Old Testament you see God bringing Israel through, through so many things and they're always reminding themselves and a lot of these books it's look what God did God did this for you He brought you out of Egypt He crossed over the Red Sea He made, He made you to live in the wilderness but He provided for you while you are in the wilderness and then He brought you Here and then he did all these things and after they hear these things they're celebrating so it's it's a constant it's a constant praise and so they're marching around they're declaring this is a city set apart for God this is a city uh, in which we will make His name known it's a city that we will follow His law it's a city that in which we will worship Him continually and so it was then it should be for us now. God has set apart his church, this church, to do great things for him. And we want to declare that. We want to declare that week in and week out. This is a church set apart for the work of God. We will make his name known. We will follow his word. And we will worship him continually. So we must give God our praise. And number three, we must give our gifts to God. Verses 44 through 47. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise. And thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. It's important to note here that back in Deuteronomy, we see uh, that the tribe of Levi, the Levites, would not have a portion of the inheritance of Israel. As they're, as they're giving all the tribes their inheritance, the Levites were left out because they were the people that were dedicated to serving God. And so their daily needs, their portions that they needed to survive day in and day out were given by the people. And so this was something that was commissioned by God. So through the sacrifices, through the offerings that were given, the Levites were able to live and not have to worry about making a living because they were, they were in, uh, in the ministry of uh, doing the work of God. So they were, they were helping with the sacrifices and they were, you know, helping people to, to come clean and they were praying for people and praying over people. And they, they were really devoted to ministry and so they didn't work um, outside of that and so it was provided for them. And so when it says here that they were giving the portion that was for the Levites, this is why it says that. Why did they need it? Because God said, give them the daily provision um, so that they'll be okay and they can just serve me. So we've talked about this, the the people were hungry for the law. We saw that weeks ago, we saw that last week, and they knew that God had commanded them to give to the Levites. And so they knew what God said, so they were obedient to what God said. So he said to give, so they gave. God required something of them, therefore they committed themselves to obeying him. And this time it was in the form of giving to the work of the Lord. So these chapters, these two chapters, even though, again, the tendency might be to skip over some of it, it really is rich for us as we think about our own lives and we think about maybe it's encouraging to us, maybe it's challenging to us based on how we live our lives and how we may or may not have been involved in the mission of God. So I want to recap these three and kind of talk about it more for, uh, for us today. So number one, we must give ourselves to God. So I want to ask kind of one one big question, and this includes me, not just throwing this at you, but the question is, how much of my time am I giving to the mission of God? How much of my time am I giving to the mission of God? If you think on this last week, just go back to like Monday, how much of it was spent serving somebody else? How much of it was spent pursuing a relationship with the gospel in mind? How much of your week was spent intentionally doing those things. And maybe you're serving some capacity here at Northwest. Maybe your name was read on those lists, which is awesome. But again, that's not where it stops for us. That's not the only thing that we're called to do. Our new mission statement as a church is passionately guiding generations through gospel transformation one home at a time begins here, of course, but then it goes out into our community. This isn't just a statement that we came up with because we needed something for the website, right? It's not like we need something, sounds good, put it up, and then people will know what we're about. But it was literally hours and hours of praying, hours of conversation, hours of researching um, immediate communities and, and demographics and, and so many other things that went into uh, into the statement. And it's what we as a staff and, and elder team believe 100% that God has planted. Listen to me. God has planted on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This isn't something that we just came up with because we used our logic, but it's the Holy Spirit leading us through a process and God giving us on our hearts and minds this statement, again, over pouring over it for, for so many weeks and months. And we believe this is what we should run hard after as a church. And so if it's just, if it's just coming on a Sunday, if it's just hearing the word and worshiping and then going out and not doing anything about it, it's not doing anything to serve, it's not doing anything to love other people, it's not doing anything to give back to this body, um, then we're missing, we're missing the mark. If it's just serving on a Sunday morning, that's great. We're not, we're not missing out because we're doing what God's called us to do. But we also need to be about going out into the community and going into our workplace and going into our schools and having it in our minds that we are meant for something more than just living a life to try to be successful, make some money, retire well, and leave something to our kids. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live with the gospel in mind, with the mission of God in mind. And so every day that we live should have some sort of intentionality with reaching people. So we need to give ourselves to the mission of God. And we wanna lead this effort forward, things that we're doing like the Serve Your City and the discipleship initiative that's, that's going on. We don't want this just to be something that our leadership is coming up with and throwing it out and everyone, let's go do it. But we want this to be something that we're all running together, pursuing this mission together alongside of each other. Not us running up front and you guys are like tagging along. Like we wanna just be in it together. We wanna to be all about the mission together because God is gonna do something great. I know he is. Number two, we must give our praise to God. Another question I want to pose, um, and this is a habit that you'd have to kind of get into, I think. I, I'm not in this habit necessarily every day. But when's the last time you sat silently at the end of the day and reflected on what took place? Just sit silently, no distractions. Maybe it's the end of the week. Maybe you sit on a Friday night or a Saturday and you look back on the week that just took place. But when's the last time you looked back and you tried to see God revealing himself to you? Um, and not only that, but spending time praising him for it. Was the last time you sat and just reflected on, okay, what happened today? What were my interactions like? Where did I see God working? And then, man, God, thank you for for allowing me to, to see you there. You are so awesome. You're so this, you're so that. I saw that today, and you thank you for that. Thank you for revealing that. Thanks for being that in my life. When's the last time that we that we did that? Just sat and just praised God for what he's doing in our lives. I've been reading through um, the Bible chronologically and um, over and over, you just see the authors reminding their readers what God did in their history. I kind of touched on this a little bit, but over and over, you see them responding in praise. They reflect on what God has done. Sometimes it brings them to a point of confession. Sometimes they just praise God for what he's done. When's the last time that we spent time doing that? Listen, man, I'm, I'm telling you right now, God is, um, God's at work in our midst, and we've come through some tough season. but, but God, is, God is faithful He's, he's so faithful. And when, when he, I'm telling you right now, when he, when, not if, okay, when he uses us to help change our communities, to help change this country with the gospel, to help change our world with the gospel, uh, we better give it all back to him uh, because he deserves it. He deserves our praise. Um, so, so excited. And then number three, we must give our gifts to God. I want to spend too much time on this. I think this is a sermon in and of itself, but it's pretty simple to apply to us. In Nehemiah, they gave financially and they gave their goods so that the Levites would be good. And one of the ways that this ministry moves forward is by the sacrificial giving of finances, of goods sometimes, but the giving of the body helps things move forward. We have a share fund that we give to about every other month, and uh, that goes to the physical needs in our body. That goes to the uh, global staff when they have needs. It sometimes goes to those outside our body when we hear of needs There as well. We don't want anyone to go without. So we have a fund that's set up to make sure that doesn't happen. And so we buy into, we believe that we need to be giving to make the ministry move forward. Not only giving to make the ministry move forward, but giving so that nobody in our body goes without. We want to make sure that everybody's good. Just like they were taking care of the Levites who were working um, for the Lord. We want to take care of our body. We want to take care of people and make sure that nobody nobody goes without. So we give of ourselves. We praise God for the work that he's doing in, in our lives and in this church. And then we give so that the mission of God is realized. I'm telling you, he's doing something great, and I want us all to be a part of that. So let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these two chapters that we can look into and see um, how you kind of brought Israel through a really tough time, through some opposition, some adversity. But um, they looked at you as faithful, as, as a God who makes and keeps promises, and they worshiped you for that and they saw you do a tremendous thing in their midst. And so God, I pray uh, that we would have the same response as we look at what you've done in our lives, as you look at, at what you've done and remain faithful in our church. Uh, God, I pray that we would just lift up praises to you and that we would, uh, we would give you glory for that. We wouldn't just continue going without missing opportunities to praise you. Please give us uh, just the motivation, give us the, uh, your spirit to help lead us forward as we go and to live these things out in our lives as well. I uh, we wanna be on mission for you individually and as a body. So uh, lead us forward, God, we pray in your son's name. Amen.